This is To Hear Knows When, Great Irish Albums Revisited, a Learn and Sing production. Paul McDermott and this is a podcast about great Irish albums. It's named after a My Bloody Valentine song. If you go to at Learn and Sing on Twitter or paulmcdermott.ie forward slash podcast, you'll find links to episode notes and lots of further information on all the albums we've covered so far. If you're new to the podcast, then there's loads to go back and discover. Recent episodes on The Stunning, The Fat Lady Sings. There's episodes on A House, that Petrol Emotion, The Fatima Mansions, Whipping Boy, The Stars of Heaven, Therapy, Ash, Nina Hines, and many, many more. And I'd ask that if you've enjoyed any episode to date, then please consider subscribing, liking, and sharing. And if you stay until the end of this episode, you'll hear a short preview of the next one. Okay, this is episode 33. It focuses on Little Dark Mansion by the Harvest Ministers. Now, in a 1997 Sunday Times interview with Will Murrayman, around the time his band The Harvest Ministers released their third album, Orbit, journalist Mick Heaney wrote, For all the lofty pretensions of rock and roll, few of its practitioners conform to the stereotype of the introverted, tortured artist, generally opting for the party animal or the prima donna image. If that is the rule, however, Will Merriman, singer and songwriter with the Dublin band The Harvest Ministers, truly is the exception. With his relaxed but hesitant and slightly awkward manner and his otherworldly intensity, Merriman is mercuriality personified. In researching this episode, that old McKinney Sunday Times interview was one of the few feature articles I located on the band. For me, the Harvest Ministers always seemed like a mysterious band, a band out of step with trends and scenes, a band that did their own thing and most importantly did it at their own time. The fact that I could find so few interviews with the band's songwriter and only constant member Will Merriman reinforced that mystery for me. I wasn't nervous before I spoke to Will, but I suppose I was a little apprehensive. I shouldn't have been, though. Will was really friendly, helpful, relaxed, very thoughtful and very funny as well. I've really enjoyed putting this episode together. Now, it's taken me 33 episodes of the podcast to shoehorn a Marky Smith reference into my introduction. And strangely, it's a Harvest Ministers episode that has allowed me to mention one of my all-time favourite bands, The Fall. You see, in June 1992, music journalist David Quantic was joined by The Fall's Marky Smith reviewing that week's singles for The Enemy. You can guess where this one's going. Quantic played Smith, The Verve's second single, She's a Superstar. I've heard of this lot, Smith tells Quantic. He listens to a bit more of the record and then exclaims, They'll make millions this lot. He got that one right. Quantic puts on The Slow Dusty Peep by Tanya Donnelly's Belly, the band's first release since Donnelly had left Throwing Muses. They could have recorded the vocals properly, Smith tells Quantic. She's a good singer, but I'm a bit fussy about that sort of thing. Or more likely, he said, thinga. After having a pop at new singles by Iron Maiden, Dire Straits, Roy Orbison, the Jesus and Mary chain, and telling Quantic a fairly insensitive Def Leppard joke, Smith gets to You Do My World, The World of Good by Dublin's the Harvest Ministers. The 7-inch has a catalogue number Sarah 64. In other words, the 64th 7-inch released on Sarah Records, the independent record label based in Bristol that between 1987 and 1995 released 100 records that defined what we know as indie pop, what was sometimes referred to derogatorily as twee or cutie although those terms have well and truly been reclaimed in the last 20 years or so. But really the output of Sarah at the time was the antithesis of the fall. Quantic goes first writing, Irish sloth popsters in whisting violin melancholy. Nice. Smith listens to the record. That was good, 
quite nice, actually, before cracking his distinctive laugh. <laughs> Who'd have thought it? Marky Smith of the Fall praising Will Merriman's Harvest Ministers. Chalk and Cheese. The Harvest Ministers were formed in 1987 by Merriman, and in 1991 released their debut single, You Do My World, The World of Good, on their own imprint, Crayon Records. This was brought to the attention of Sarah Records, who reissued it the following year. That's when Marky Smith reviewed it. Two more singles followed on Sarah. Six O'Clock is Rosary, Sarah 68, and John Peel favourite, If It Kills Me and It Will, Sarah 84. Such was the abundance of great songs that Merriman could leave these three singles off their debut album, Little Dark Mansion, when it arrived in 1993. In State magazine, around the time of the Harvest Minister's retrospective compilation from 2014, you can see everything from here. Niall Crumlish reiterated this very point, writing that, during a ridiculous run of form in the 1990s, the Ministers were one of those bands, like the Pixies or the Smiths the decade before them, so overburdened with great songs that they could leave masterpieces off albums. Niall continues, Six O'Clock as Rosary is utterly exquisite, a song so sparse and taut and elegant and lush with feeling that it would be the peak of almost any other band's career. That's a good piece by Niall, and he republished it on his Psychiatry and Songs blog a few years back. I'll leave a link to it in the episode notes. The Harvest Ministers were picked up by Satanta Records and released two more albums, A Feeling Mission and Orbit, before the end of the 90s. Since the millennium, three more albums and a number of EPs have been issued, all released on the Crayon imprint. Will keeps going. He's currently writing songs for the next Harvest Ministers album. As he told McKinney back in 1997, I don't think anyone who's truly artistically inclined can quit. They don't have a choice, really. The songwriting thing is too strong for me. At the end of the day, if nobody hears your song, so what? The catharsis is there. In an Irish Times review of You Can See Everything From Here, the aforementioned Harvest Ministers compilation from 2014, my old friend Padraig Collins wrote... Harvest Minister's mainstay, Will Merriman, is a gifted songwriter, but if you know the band, then you already know that. If not, now's the perfect time to find out. So I'll paraphrase Podrick. If you're not familiar with the story of the Harvest Ministers and the beautiful songs they've recorded since the early 90s, now's the perfect time to find out. So here we go. To Hear Knows When, Great Irish Albums Revisited, Episode 33, Little Dark Mansion by the Harvest Ministers. It's my great pleasure to welcome Will Merriman. Will, you're really welcome. Well, thank you for having me, Paul. It's nice to be here. I've travelled a long way. (laughs) (laughs) Neighbours, Will. I know, literally. (laughs) I was saying to you there a few minutes ago, up in your band camp, it says, Will Merriman is currently writing songs for the next Harvest Minister's That's correct, album. Yeah. yeah. And I asked you, I said, how many songs would you have a pool of when you go in to record a new album? Uh, the short answer is not enough, but um, at the moment it's around 80. Wow. And uh, they would have been gathered over the last four years or so. Yeah. You'd write a certain number of songs every year or so if you keep uh, pushing the tread, you know, and keep looking for ideas and stuff. So you, you'd accumulate a lot of songs pretty quickly. Okay. So you'd finish each one, put, put it away in the box sort of thing, and then suddenly you look at the box and there's 10 more boxes. Yeah. <laughs> and when you... That's how it works. When you eventually decide to go in and record the next record, how many songs do you think you'll have that you're happy with, that you want to take to the next stage? You cut the 80 down to 40 maybe. Yeah. And then that 40 quickly becomes around 22. And then that 22 in the studio, you, you would work till it was more or less fully formed. Okay. And then from that 22, you might choose 13. So from 80 to 40, to 22 to 13. That's how it works. Well, for me anyway, that's how it works. And do you bounce that off anybody, Will? Or are you ultimately the person that decides? I don't know. It, the 80 to 40 to 20? I think it organically comes and presents itself. It's, it's quite apparent, yeah. you know, if, particularly if you're ruthlessly. 
Yeah. Quantity uh, control and all that. So uh, it becomes apparent, but everyone's welcome to give their opinion, of course. And I'm interested yeah. to know, so when you cut from 80 to 40, mm-hmm. do you ever revisit that 40 that you've dropped? No, not really. So that means you must have a whole cache of songs for, you know, over the last 30 odd years, yeah. Will, that yeah. you've decided aren't up to standard. Yeah, they're orphans <laughs> <laughs> in a shoebox somewhere on the phone tapes and cassette tapes and all the rest of it. That's, that's an archivist's dream or nightmare. Probably nightmare, I'd say. It's all chaos. <laughs> While you're working on songs for the next record, at some point there, I suppose, over the last year or two, you realised that a 30th anniversary of the debut album was approaching. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was something I was aware of. Yeah. And I wanted to mark, mark the 30th anniversary yeah. of the record. It was our debut album yeah. 30 years ago, yeah. 1993. It actually opened a lot of doors for us. So it deserves to, to be um, marked for a new generation. Yeah. Because half our listeners on Spotify are under the age of 35. Yeah. And of course, as amazing. well, we'll get into it, Will, but um, the first album came out on Sarah. And be- yeah. because Sarah, it's turned into this almost the cult of Sarah Records in a way. Yeah. That um, anything that was ever put out on Sarah has become really collectible. So it's very hard to pick up originals of the Harvest Ministers. Well, first I don't even have singles. one. Yeah. I don't even have a copy. And the prices, because I looked before we did this, Will, again, the prices of the original LP are crazy online. And particularly the three Sarah seven inches. It's just yeah. crazy, you know. Yeah, we should really put those out again, the Six O'Clock as Roses and yeah. stuff on uh, You Do My Worlds. And I noticed some guy, he's got about 10 or 12 Sarah 7 inches hmm. that are coming up in an auction Hi. down in Cornwall in a few weeks' time. <laughs> and the opening bid is something like 400 sterling. Well, I mean, if you, if you have the money yeah. and it's what you like. That's it, isn't why it? Why not? That's it. Come here to me. Little Dark Mansion was... 1993 mm. but the band had been going for maybe about five years before yeah that. we we formed in 1987 right and in, in the month of june and did it take just a couple of years for it to kind of yeah to evolve yeah, yeah. So we more or less like an acoustic uh, three three piece for two or three years right and then i think we were playing a trinity ball one year and we were playing after the black velvet band okay and they had the marquee jammed people dance and everything like you couldn't get into the place then we were on next our little tree piece and a place scattered like bleeding cockroaches <laughs> there was probably two people left <laughs> <laughs> however we got a couple of phone calls out of that show from various record people so it goes to show you just don't know who's looking at you yeah. even if it appears there's nobody yeah yeah <laughs> there might be someone probably someone looking out from the window in trinity yeah this is pretty good you know so if you think Dublin in, you know, from 87 onwards, like those late 80s in Dublin, were you doing something very different, do you think, to most of the bands in Dublin at the time? Maybe. I'm not sure. I'd, I guess in the 80s, like you had uh, Characters World News and yeah. they were 80s, weren't they? They were, they were, weren't so they? Yeah, you yeah. had that kind of guitar-orientated kind of certain produced sound. They were kind of, they were all the bands that came kind of after you two, weren't they? Kind of, yeah. yeah. Kind of, I, won't, I won't call them clones, but they certainly, they certainly had a particular production sound. Yes, yes. Uh, reminiscing of each other. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we, that's why we stood apart. We didn't have drums and bass. Yeah. So I was particularly unique, but unoriginal, you know. And then Plus, I had a voice like a bit of a cat. <laughs> so, so there wasn't many people singing like cats in them days. <laughs> so, so when did when did it move from that three piece then into a kind of a more traditional set? You know. Yeah, I mentioned the Trinity Ball, and we like yeah. uh, we were friends with uh, Brian Foley. He played with the Blades and stuff. Yeah. And uh, he had a friend Dave who played uh, guitar, but Brian jumped up on uh, on bass to help us out and, and some drums, and then we entered the hot press band competition or something. Yeah. Down in Cork. Yeah. Uh, the final, uh, I think we made a final, much to everybody's surprise. <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing in the final? They're useless. They don't even have a drama, bass play. <laughs> so uh, that was, um, I think we went for the Heat, what was that, 89 maybe? We won the Heat, much as I said to everybody's surprise, and uh, went back for the final uh, some months later. And um, 
place was jammed, which didn't suit us. I thought we were kind of like a cabaret acoustic act. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's when I think we, we had Brian and um, Pat on drums plays songs like people who knows like Powers or something, which like cabaret kind of. Dun, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So that, that went down well, but um, as regards the competition, we, it was a total right off for us. But we enjoyed it. Yeah. Brian has a website, as you'll know, and he records under the name um, Boy One now. He, yeah. He records. But up on his blog, he mm. has um, a lovely piece on his time in the Harvest Ministers. Mm. And he says... Um, the ministers were unusual in the fact that they had three different lead singers and the music was very quirky with odd jazzy chords, melodic sax riffs and lyrics that lived up to their strange song titles. I hang from a great big oak, Oliver Cromwell, six o'clock is rosary, to mention a few. Subject matters not heard on many Dublin stages or any stages for that matter. Well, I'll stand for Oliver Cromwell. I think it was a decent man enough. You know, it's a pity he didn't become King of England. You know, that's an interesting question, but perhaps for another day. Yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Brian's a lovely man and uh, I have a lot of time for him and uh, we got him really well. He's a very funny man. He says, the band couldn't be categorised. The Harvest Ministers were never going to fit into the mainstream, but that's what attracted me to them in the first place. He says, the gigs were unique experiences. The ramshackle nature of the band meant that no two gigs were alike. There were set lists, but we'll never adhere to them. He often surfaced with a new song if the notion took him. Yeah, that's all correct statements, Brian. Thank you very much. I don't think no two gigs are like anyway. Yeah. You know, I mean, particularly if you're dealing with songwriters, I mean, each one is an experience in itself. And the audience will, will also change the experience yeah. as well, won't they? So, yeah, because, I mean, it's all about the audience too. Yeah. I mean, their experience, like if you go to a play, yeah. I mean, you ask individuals coming out what do you think you're going to get completely different houses yeah. so uh, I think no two gigs are the same you know, so. I don't think they should be the same no no they? no because if you've got a collection of songs if you like, if you, if you, say if you were going to see Chris Christopherson with some best songs ever written yeah. you know they're, they're, you're in them because the narrative and the lyrics are so beautiful you know uh, Sunday morning coming down yeah I woke up Sunday morning like, I mean, you'd listen to that forever. Absolutely. And like, I went to see Perry Como with Andy, who plays on the Dark Mansion. He was sick. And um, this is 1991 down uh, the Point. Arena. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly Point, yeah. 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 And uh, he was filming especially for a Christmas show. And he kept on stopping. Stop! But when you hear one song like, And I Love You So, it's worth the admission fee alone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so it's just totally brilliant. So if you can get one song like that within a concert or a gig that you do and you touch the audience, your job's done. That's it. You're Absolutely. Done. Yeah. So there must have been a point then, would it have been late 80s, early 90s, when you managed to presumably get some money together to record the first 7-inch? You do my world, the you world You do good. my world, the world Yeah, we recorded that in a kitchen in Minute. Guy set up his studio called John Scott and uh, we went out... He gave us some time there and we ended up in his kitchen and we set up microphones, acoustic guitars, violin, and we recorded live. And that was how we recorded that first song. It's that seven inch then. Am I right in saying, well, you brought that out yourselves. That came to the attention of Sarah. Of Sarah. Sarah Records, yeah, through a good friend of ours, Ken Sweeney. Brian. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was working with the BBC at the time. Yeah. Um, I think I was over there in the one time and there. He brought it to Claire and they loved it. We said, yeah, let's go and do an album. They said, yes, we'll pay for it. I told it's budget. There was a book a few years ago all about Sarah Records called Popkiss. Yeah. Now there's another one coming out, I believe, in, That's a, right. in a few months' time. By Jane, yeah. Jane yeah. Doofus, I think, is it? That's correct, yeah. From Popkiss. Popkiss was written by Michael White a few years ago. I have a little mention here, and it's as you said, actually. He mentions Ken Sweeney. Dublin's The Harvest Ministers were brought to the attention of Wad and Haynes, that's Claire Wad and Matt Haynes, by Ken Sweeney, a fellow Irish musician who recorded under the pseudonym Brian. Led by Will Merriman, the elegantly grizzled-looking sextet knew nothing of Sarah and possibly little more about notions of indie pop. Steeped in folk 
and a tradition of barfly singer-songwriters whose problems most 20-year-olds couldn't begin to understand, they were arguably the wildest card in the Sarah deck. Violins, saxophones and all. Wow, I'd never heard that before. Bring that to my attention, Paul. My, my solicitor's yeah. letter will be on his way to him tomorrow. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. He goes on to say, I like this slide. See what you make of this. He says, uh, those who bought and were taken aback by their full-length Little Dark Mansion when it came out in 1993 hopefully held on to it. It would probably come to make greater sense to them in their 40s. Really? <laughs> wow. That's great. So that's from Popkiss. Okay. The Life and Afterlife of Sarah Records by right. Michael White. That's nearly 10 years ago. Okay. And as we said there, there's another book coming called These Things Happen. Mm. That's coming in the next month or two. Jane Dufus, were you interviewed like by I Jane was, for that? Yeah, we did. had a few words. Great, great. Yeah, so. That's being described as the definitive it, yeah. uh, account of uh, right. Sarah Records. When we're talking there about Sarah Records, Will, I'm aware that there might be listeners who kind of don't know what we're talking about. So mm. I just wanted to maybe explain that um, I would know some of the bands. They were the Orchids, they were Heavenly, Yourselves, the Sea Urchins. And I suppose at the time in the... Blue, bo- blue Boy... Blue Boy. I don't know the total um, ins and outs of Sarah Records, but they were a fey pop label, English quintessential, who were hated by the English press, the enemy or wherever they were. And they were from Bristol. Exactly. You either loved it and you bought into the whole thing or you kind of hated it, I think. I think it was very much a love-hate with Sarah. Well, the the press sold that way. Yeah. Well, that was the case. No, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what you think. I'm not 100% (laughs) sure. Because I only started buying the like the music papers in about maybe 88, 89, something like that. And very much by then, Sarah were kind of lumped in with, I suppose, what we'd now call indie pop. Yeah. It was very much an aesthetic. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Press were very strong, powerful. If you were on the curve of one of those papers, you could sell 100,000 records. Yeah. It assured that people were going by what people said, you know. Someone added up a few years ago that um, the combined sales of the four music weeklies over in the UK were nearly upwards of about half a million every week, which Mm. is extraordinary when you think about that today, you know. So rightly, as you said, if you made the cover of one of those papers... that was power. They had power and they they used it in in good ways, I guess, and bad ways. Getting a seven-inch on Sarah, it got you out of Dublin and noticed in the UK, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think um, You Do My World was reviewed by uh, Marky Smith, the full stuff. And uh, he begrudgingly, I think, liked it. Great, great. <laughs> Back to press and stuff. I mean, when we went on to do, we had put albums with Satanta. Yeah. The second album was slated by some guy in one of them, and he came to one of our shows. You know, and he was sitting at the front row. And I says, um, "Well, thanks for everyone for coming. Um, or but it has been slated by some people in the press. <laughs> you." <laughs> and he was sitting in the front row. Yeah, I just had. I felt I had to bring attention to it yeah, straight yeah. away. How's that was done? Yeah. You know, why not? You yeah, know, yeah. we could probably going to do a gig then. Fair enough. You Do My World, The World of Good was followed up by um, Six O'Clock is Rosary, mm. the second seven inch on Sarah. That was another one then that got an awful lot of attention over in the UK. That was produced with Pat O'Donnell. Mm. I'm not right in saying Pat had played in the Fountainhead, isn't that that That's guy? correct, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, yeah, he's a great man. And would that have been the band's first time, Will, working with a producer in the studio? For a sustained amount of time, yeah. Yeah. We would have demoed some songs with various people, I think. Me, personally, I I wasn't interested at all in engineering. Okay. Reverb or EQs. I want to write a song, put a microphone in front of me, I'll record it, bang, bang, bang. You weren't interested in the process? No, I wasn't interested in the recording studio. I don't want to record in the studio in my back garden. I'd rather have a garden. Yeah. (laughs) So, but other members of the band, like Andy, he's a big uh, studio man. 
know, he would have had his four trackers. And has that changed yeah. at all over the years, Will? Would mm. you still be kind of fairly allergic to the process? I'm not allergic to having uh, like a... A nice sounding record. No, I mean, your phone records equally yeah. well now as anything, you know, but I'm not interested in having a studio or anything like that. No, it's great. It's great fun going to the studio once you have your, your shit ready. Yeah. You know, and it's fine. Uh, but the idea of putting the studio before a, a compos- composition of composing yeah. is, uh, no. Ailey, yeah. is alien to me. Yeah. You know, first music, then go in the studio, and then you can experiment, you know, which which is the great thing about it. But Annie, like I say, he he's a, he, he really was interested in developing that's, his that's engineering. Andy f- he, Fitz, it's uh, Fitzpatrick, yeah. Andy Fitzpatrick. Plays piano and harmony vocal on the Lag Mansion and He's played most. He, he produced our last album actually. Back to you're Harbor. still working with Andy, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, yeah back yeah. to Harbour. Yeah, yeah. In, in New York that time. Yeah, a few years ago. Yeah, Claire Wad of Sarah there a while ago on Twitter. I suppose she was reminiscing about different bands on Sarah and of Six O'clock Rosary. She said the Harvest Ministers sounded like nobody else then or now, and the opening chord of this grabs me right away and throws me into Will's story like it's my childhood remembered. Thank you, Claire. Lovely. That's nice, isn't Couldn't it? Couldn't have written about it myself. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was nice. Two singles then on Sarah, and then the time came, Will, to record the debut album. Mm. Was this done in Dublin? Because it was also Pat O'Donnell, yeah, Pat, wasn't it? Pat O'Donnell. Um, I was sharing an apartment with Andy on Harrington Street Okay. in the early 90s. Lansdowne Studios was just down by the canal, across the road from the bar, Kitty O'Shea's, I think. Yeah. Um, that was owned by Tom O'Donoghue. Um, lovely man. Um, he engineered a record, Tom O'Donoghue, assisted by uh, Deirdre Carpenter. But Pat O'Donnell, yeah, uh, yeah, we set up. I don't know how long we were there for, maybe two weeks. Um, lockout, as the saying goes. Um, we just got gone. Set up a lovely studio at Lansdowne. It's just it's such a shame it disappeared, you know, uh, along with Westland Studios, yeah. the other one. Yeah, so we set up in Lansdowne, just... Probably recorded 18, 20 songs or something. Right. You know, and Pat took the controls. Probably drove him mad. You know, so uh, yeah, it went really well. You know, so the time flew. So that probably was sometime late 92, early 93, something like uh, that? The months of March and April 93. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Me and Annie would get up and without breakfast and walk down the canal and say, well, How do you think he has to went? Oh, okay. I can do better today. So exciting time, exciting time, very. And we'd finish, I'd, I'd finish lyrics to certain songs like Dominique. Probably wrote one of the verses on the way down to the studio. Um, Dark Mansion song itself, I wrote that in the studio. Uh, in between, in between uh, songs, people were having coffee or something. I was yeah. probably sitting at the piano and uh, hit a chord, and oh, that's, that's not a bad lyric. And then I just uh, was finishing a day or two. Then I went to Pat. Pat, I've got another song. No, you don't. We have enough. We've got more than enough. We'll go away. No, Pat, this is a good one. This is gonna encompass all. The lyrical ideas, the teams, the black mansion, this is the one. So uh, he relented and then we set the studio up and uh, acoustic guitar and the and, you know, piano and uh, away we went. Where I dwells a little dark mansion I inherited from you Left balancing on a concrete block is a unhinged gate out the back on this podcast, Will, there's been a fair few situations where a record is coming out again. So you presumably had to go back and listen to all of this and re-examine it. And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's that like 30 years back, going back, listening to something you did as a young man? It's funny you should say that because uh, there's two editions of this album available from my Bandcamp page. One is yeah. the, the normal uh, vinyl and um, sheet music and a photo, perhaps. There's a there's bespoke a edition. One, yeah, there? bespoke edition where... I kind of in a kind of soft leather notebook 
uh, write anecdotes and the handwritten lyrics to that. So that's been therapeutic in reliving it all. It's sort of like Marcel Proust and the Recherche de Tempédou, you know. This is great. I'm there again. So it's been lovely. Is it strange? No, not strange at all. It's good? Yeah, yeah, it's good. And how do you feel about those songs 30 years on? I think they still sound up. I mean, the River Wedding is lovely. I mean, the narrative, the music, you know, I think it's beautiful. sparseness of the recordings mm. make the album for me sound as fresh yeah. as the first day I actually heard it. But that's the way we played. Yeah, you, you left room for the multi-instrumentalist part of the call and saxophone and clarinet. You know, you listen to Dominique. <laughs> I think like a window, like you have it in your studio. I mean, I, I I played out in the Rickenbacker and it's in the inverted A minor chord, and I'm going, I'm just floating around, and I could hear. <laughs> this is the song this is the intro I'm playing on an A minor you know and I go then I'm waiting well when is he going to hit into that main rhythm riff I'm not going to do it yet no no I'm going to hang on and then I, I eventually start off a minute and a half or something but it all adds to the atmosphere of the track you know Melody Maker said of the record Oh yeah, did they review that record? They did They said I can't hope to convey all its warmth and wit its invention its raw nerve and anguish its cold rages In refusing to embrace anything larger than their own lives the Harvest Ministers stand head and shoulders above any big music claptrap All right. I know, I don't remember ever reading that. Yeah, that's, that's that from the Melody Maker. That would have got me on a real high if I read that. I'm glad I didn't read that. Well, I hope it's getting you on a real high now. <laughs> not at all, no, 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 but that's nice. I suppose it was that Sarah thing, wasn't it, of don't put the singles on the album. That was a very Sarah aesthetic. But, mm. like, were you okay with that as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. That was never an issue, no, never. Yeah. I think they added three songs on for the American issue. Like I didn't the, like that. Okay, no. tagged on at the end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but hey. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? You want it out in the States, whatever, do <laughs> so, it. Oh yeah, so they put them on, so that's fine. Yeah. And the, the, the three extra tracks are on the, the Bandcamp version as well. You can get, yeah, with the yeah. digital, you can get yeah, those yeah, three exactly, singles exactly. as well. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the way to do it. Give yeah. people the option. Yeah. The third of those singles was um, If It Kills Me and It Will. Mm. I went back through the John Peel show and he really took to that single. He did. And he even says a few times that he even isn't sure why he likes it, which is great. <laughs> I wish they'd let me be Jackie Brambles again for a week so I could play records like that during the daytime. I mean, it's just a great pop single. The Harvest Ministers, by far the best thing that I've heard from them. That's a single on Sarah Records called If It Kills Me and It Will. Before that... And here's a record that I've only heard twice, but I found myself humming it horribly in the bath yesterday. Harvest Ministers. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go on, you must have liked that. The Harvest Ministers on Sarah Records, a new seven-inch single called If It Kills Me and It Will. And to end the programme this week, another track from the wonderful Shabba Kahamba. Uh, this is a single which is one of those things which I think I don't like in a way, and yet I find myself <laughs> playing it again and again and again and uh, humming it rather unpleasantly uh, when I'm in the mood. It's on Sarah Records, The Harvest Ministers, If It Kills Me and It Will. And Sarah Records seem to be on a bit of a roll at the moment, and uh, their new single from The Harvest Ministers, whose previous work I've not been too terrifically thrilled by, I must admit, is really nice. It's called If It Kills Me and It Will. Very nice too, I'd say. The Harvest Ministers, forthcoming single on the Sarah record label, If It Kills Me and It Will. And here's a track from an LP that I've not really featured enough. In fact, I don't think I've featured it at all yet. It's on Sarah Records by The Harvest Ministers. The LP is called Little Dark Mansion. And I shall play you more than this. This is just a minute and 25 seconds of Rug. 
Uh, on Wednesday, if you're in the Bristol area, you can go to the Sarah Christmas Party aboard the Thekla. That's if all of the tickets haven't gone. First bound on at 8.30, and you can see Heavenly, The Orchids, Blue Boy, Boy Racer, Secret Shine, and Action Painting. And uh, one Sarah band that won't be there, alas, is uh, the Harvest Ministers, but they are on our 1FM turntable. Very good. <laughs> it's very nice. Harvest Ministers, and that's from the LP Dark, no, Little Dark Mansion, and it's called Fictitious Christmas. Little of the Yuletide spirit for you here on 1FM. <laughs> <laughs> this is Censor. What's going on? Thanks for playing. I love the way he says, I'm not sure if I like this or not, but I can't stop humming it. At least he admits it, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good... There was, you, you know, know... If you're not against it, you're for it, really, Absolutely. You? So I would take that view. Yeah, yeah. You were nodding in approval there when he had picked Rug from the album to yeah, be the Yeah, spin. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because if you, over the course of an album, it's such a unique little piece. Yeah. It defies description, I think. I mean, it doesn't fit into any time signature or such. It's it's free. Yeah. And you got the beautiful violin and uh, the guitar is just inter- in, inverted and kind of angular and whatever words yeah. you want to use, you know. But you got the lyric, which just keeps it all together. Yeah. And the melody. I pulled those up, Will, because younger listeners, they might be aware of the name John Peel, but they certainly probably aren't aware of the huge influence getting some no. spins like that mm. on his radio show meant. Yeah. Yeah. Getting plays like that for the Harvest Ministers mm. would have been important at the time, wouldn't it? I think so, yeah. Um, unfortunately, we didn't, we, we didn't really get to play England much, though. Right. You know, it wasn't a, 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 we weren't a priority for Sarah as such. They wouldn't have had the money no, they wouldn't have, to bring no. you over no, and all. set you up or anything no, we like were that. In Dublin so and to all, all effect, yeah. we were out of the picture. Yeah. So we weren't really there to take advantage of any, any of that kind of stuff. Just to go back to Six yeah. O'Clock is Rosie, if I can backtrack a little bit. Tom O'Brien, who did the video for that song, such a great video. That's our Buster Keaton movie. I just want to thank him for yeah. doing that because it's such a great uh, document to have. He also did the video for You Do My World a while ago as well. And um, Four for Trials, and there, Four for Trials video, where we're hanging around Temple Bar. And the opening shot is me with, uh, I always carried the book around with me in those days, so I was reading Sartre or something. Such a shame with a game on the cover. I, the <laughs> video know. I remember is it's almost a passion along that, the beach that, that photo was used for if it kills me in the world yeah carrying is it a double bass yeah yeah like yeah and coffin. yeah I remember a few tourists were watching says so this is some kind of strange Irish ceremony <laughs> yes it is <laughs> what are they what are they double bass yeah that's a great photograph I think Tom's wife yeah. took that that's the sleeve of if it kills yes yeah. yeah in Portage it's lovely yeah Yes, I want to thank Tom for that video, you know. So then, presumably, Keith Collin from Satanta must have been, like, listening or or paying attention, or I don't know. He was paying attention, yeah, yeah. because I think uh, Brian, or Ken with Brian, had done a record first with him. That's right. Uh, There was a mini album called Understand. Understand, yeah. That's a great record, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You you don't want a boyfriend. Keith would call me at some stage. I was living down in Pembroke Road. And uh, in the basement there as well, something about basement flats. He'd call me, I'd get a knock at the door, you know. You want to go to telephone? London's calling. So I'd go run over there. The kid, he'd say, oh, I heard you have that song, you, know, you do my world of world. It's okay, you know, you think you could do better. And I said, perhaps I could do even better. <laughs> this was his way of courting you. That, well, exactly. By, by saying you can do that, better. Yeah, God, that's, that's, his, that's his way. And he, that, that, it was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I agreed with my cars can do better. Yeah. You can always do better. Yeah. As long as you produce. <laughs> no, I could always do better. Yeah, that's how, that's, that's the kind of calls he'd make. Yeah. You know, so, um, so we'd done that in uh, 93, the Mansion, and then, yeah, he said, why don't you do a record? And I said, yeah, why not? 
you know? that's the um, a feeling uh, mission record a feeling mission yeah, yeah. which was I think 90 95 yeah. yeah we went over that and that was a step up it was bigger studio yeah a big name producer at the time God he's even bigger now yeah your man what's his name Phil Phil Tonelli great great guy lovely man yeah talented musician himself so yeah we went over there in Rack Studios the famous Rack Studios where Mickey Mills used to do, record all his hits uh, so, well, I can't remember the Sunshine Band Casey and the Sunshine Band yeah you know so that, that was great yeah that was, a, that was a great time a week or two in there was that um, nerve wracking to go into a big studio like that that had all that history no I don't think so but as long as we were prepared you know we had a collection of songs we knew they were good yeah you know for, for, for and uh, so we were ready to go wasn't it Geraldine? Jared Dad had left the band, yeah. Um, Maeve Roach. Was Maeve was the yeah. was the new vocalist. Maeve was in at the Maeve was the sort of the, the first singer. Okay. Then she went. Jared Dad thankfully came in and, and she was singing the Dark Mansion. Then it was back Jared to was, Maeve. And then it was back to Maeve for this record. Yeah. Yeah. Temple to Love. Yeah. And it was an interesting time, I suppose, because Satanta by then had a bit of a profile, didn't they? Oh yeah, they had the huge hit with Evan Collins. A girl like you. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, we went on tour with him in, in, in France and various parts of Europe. How did that go for you, Will? It was great. I'd say the French took to it, did they? They did, yeah. Yeah, I remember one of the, I can't remember the event, one of the big venues in Paris and uh, playing football on stage and the, the, event, the, the owner came out and he handed, gave us, don't tell your manager, but there's 200 francs each, go and have a drink. <laughs> So yeah, well, it went down well, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I think the first gig was in Lille or sometime. So we, we got the van over from London, drove down to Lille and on stage straight away. Yeah. That's like proper rock and roll. Right? It was, yeah. And unlike us, totally. <laughs> we just wanted a tea and cake afterwards. <laughs> All this beer shit. Was that a long tour? About a half a dozen, eight dates, I think. He was on a real roll. That would have sold tickets to the gigs, though. Yeah, his, his, the tour was packed out. Yeah. So that would have been your first time, I imagine, as a band witnessing that type of it was, yeah, yeah, big crowds, big stages. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was fun. Yeah, it was, it was fun, and uh, we learned a lot. Was it that won't wash? Was the single? Yeah, that did well in France. Got our radio play. We recorded a lot of stuff in rack, but we also recorded a lot of the vocals in another studio. Okay. In kind of a smaller studio with Nigel Goldrich, who Radio went Radio. on to do amazing yeah, things. Yeah. So I remember he, we'd taken a mix out of that one wash gun to Phil's car and he'd put the cassette in and having to listen to it. He says, well, this is how you know it sounds like good. You put it in your, in your machine in the car. That's how you know when you listen to it. Yeah, this sounds good. So sounds good in my car, it sounds good anyway. Phil. Phil, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it sounds good on a crappy tape, yeah, in, in the his car, car, yeah, yeah. It's good. It's yeah. going to sound good on the radio. Yeah, yeah, and like, uh, Park's guitar now is, is, is lovely. The arpeggios and that. I mean, it's simply, simply a three chord riff, really. Reminiscence of, uh, well, I won't tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the guitar is lovely in that. Yeah. And uh, in B flat, I'm not sure I could sing that right now. In B flat. I played, you see, I played your cruise. You know, yeah, I yeah. couldn't go there right no, now. No, no, no. I've been listening back to it as well. And um, I hadn't listened to this in years before we scheduled this, Will, you know. Yeah. And it was lovely to hear it again. Yeah. It was, What's the first song on it? That Won't Wash. Oh, is it? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That's the first one. That Won't Wash. A Drowning Man, yeah. Dealing with a kid, yeah. That, that's my Bob Marley redemption song. The Only See the Power. Yeah, I prefer the acoustic version of The Only See the Power. Than that band version. There was one more record with Satanta, Orbit. Yes, Orbit, yeah. And that, but that took you to to the States. Yeah, we, with, we recorded um, that in uh, the Pretty and Stewart's Your Water Music 
studio. I think uh, quite a famous studio there in New Jersey. With what's his name? Uh, John Parrish. John Parrish. Yeah. We were supposed to do it previously, but we got stopped at customs. Right. You know, you can't come over there, sorry, to do that record. Yeah. I forgot about those songs. You know, we're not going to allow you to record us. Go back, come back again. <laughs> so we went back and there was a six-month delay or something. Okay. And uh, the visas were all in uh, order this time. And, uh, yeah, that was a great, great t- uh, two weeks in that studio in New Jersey. We A lot of us stayed in, uh, in, in um, New York City, took yeah. the path train out to Hoboken and uh, walked down to the studio for 15 minutes or so. And uh, John Parrish was there and set up. John, he played the drums on the, you know, there were rooms there. I think we probably st- st- stayed there sometimes. And, uh, yeah. At the time, Satanta were licensed in the States by Bar Nunn Records. Yeah. And Bar Nunn was Tom Prendergast from Limerick. That's right. Who was based in Hoboken. He was, yeah, yeah. We met him and um, Bar Nunn, I noticed that they'd, they'd have meetings every other day with the staff there outside and I thought that was lovely you know let's go and have a board and then they'd have a meeting whatever they're talking about and that was that and that was nice and then we had because the staff were really lovely and they said oh yeah we, we like your record with what we can with it over here and we met a, a good friend Tim Brown because Tim Brown was Satanta's name, uh, representative in New York okay so uh, we've stayed friends ever since and he helps us out sometimes we're pressed over there Tim would have arranged that and managed us while we were there doing some show in, in Chennai or whatever it was. Yeah. You know, it's those places. And that must have been expensive enough for Satanta to get all of you over to the stage. Just imagine. Oh, we took the boat. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> he wasn't flying us over. I'm only kidding. <laughs> no, I guess it was. Yeah, but we got it done. Yeah. You know, learned a lot from that. Particularly now, like, Phil Thornally and Nigel Goldridge and... John Parrish, like you're learning from those people, I imagine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Learned a lot from them. And exactly what we learned, what did we learn? Yeah. <laughs> you're still processing you can, it. You can never have enough good songs. That's what I, I've learned, you know, never. On the press release for Orbit, it says, if asked about his heroes, Will Merriman will tell you that they are all artists that stay true to their work and give everything of themselves to it. The guiding influence is always the heart of the artist. Yeah, that was yeah. a quote from you on the press release. How was it? Yeah. Okay. Or else Keith made it up, I'm not sure. No, yet. no, I probably wrote that at the time. Yeah, you know, yeah. Well, I mean, hey, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. Songwriters, I mean, uh, they express their view of the world and of yeah. themselves. I mean, it's simple enough. It is. It's, it it's is. fairly straightforward. I mean, it's straightforward. Yeah. Know, don't, de- don't deviate. And you haven't deviated really well no. from the vision from day one, sure you haven't? No. I don't think so. Not at all. I've kept the imagined thread going all the time yeah. and kept the focus on expressing an idea for a song and developed the musicality to, or technique, whatever you want to call it, to present it as best you could. Are you very single-minded, do you think, Will? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Are you stubborn? 100%. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm, I'm open as well. I mean, I, I listen to what people think. I mean, but as long as I develop something to a certain point, like if you if, if a songwriter, I've got an arrangement, I've got the uh, melodies, I've got the harmonies, I've got perhaps an idea for a guitar riff or counterbands or whatever. You bring that to 80%, 85%, and then people might say, well, you know, you should extend the arrangement to this, repeat the verse, put in a little uh, uh, segue here or whatever, you know, put a little no- new instrument coming in while the song is fading. How is that? You attract people's ears a different way. You know, the Eagles are eagles are great for that. You listen to the last 30 seconds of the song and so the Joe Walsh will play a riff. Oh, gee, wow, what was that? So it just perks you up again. You, you take some, uh, if you song, you take it to a certain uh, level, to a certain extent, and then you go into studio and you have fun. When I was pulling things together for this, Will, a good friend of mine, Podrick Collins. Oh, Podrick. I found an old review of Podrick's. He reviewed a gig a years back. Oh, it's over 20 years ago. But he was saying, um, in the Irish Times, he was saying, the harvest ministers are a national treasure of sorts. It's never too late to discover or rediscover them. This thing of a national treasure, you know, that interests me. And then um, 
I think it was probably around the time of this EP, Love Will Call, a new EP, Eamon Carr in the Herald said, Merriman's songs have a sophistication that escapes the majority of his peers. He does melancholy well and a haunting beauty of the kind that makes Jimmy Webb a recognised hit maker. Out of step with trends and musical fads, the Harvest Ministers retain a loyal cult following. Mm. I'm interested in that thing, out of step with trends and musical fads. Well, that's, that's probably, um, I wouldn't be aware of that. I mean, that's something maybe journalists will, will kind of try and categorize you as. It's not conscious. No, words. not at all. You're just No, like any, any artist, you're just following your own way. Yeah. Whether that's popular or whether it's left wing or whatever. That's, that's how it is. It's not a conscious thing. Have you ever been concerned about that thing of, oh, if I do X, Y, Z, I might pull in a hundred extra people to the gig. You're not worried about that kind of stuff, Will, are no, you? No, not at all. No. How could you be? Yeah. Promoters are though. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I mean that's not that's not my concern. That's there, but you know, you know, and that's understandable why a promoter would be. Of know? course, yeah, yeah. Any artist has to just follow their own way, you know. So yeah, I mean that's the short answer. Yeah. So after those few records, by the time of the millennium, Satanta was kind of slowly beginning to wind down. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what happened to Satanta. You'd have to do a podcast with um Keith. With Keith. Keith is selling books now. Yeah, yeah, he, he was always into books. And he's um, publishing always. beautiful art books, really, yeah. really beautiful books. And he had his, novel, he's had, had his own novel. That's right. Something about the village, something was it? Village Green. That's so, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the next few records then were kind of back on your own label as you had started yeah. all the way back. Yeah, Will, we did it? My Star is Shining in 2003 yeah. with Chris Heaney, who played drums. Played, no, he didn't play drums, not uh, Kieran Lowry played drums. That was down in Westland Studios. So what was it like then to be back your own boss again, I suppose? You know, that idea of, right, we're going to do it this way. I'm bringing it out myself. Yeah, it was, it was fine. My main concern doing any record is having a collection of songs. Yeah. Anything else, is per, anything else around that. I don't know it's relevant, but my, my job, my, my main concern is to have songs, come to the studio, bang. And then after that, if we're doing it ourselves, just to try and do the best PR we can. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to get your take on it. Steve Wall was talking about how you're creative, you're a songwriter, you're an artist. But he was saying, gee, I have to spend all my bloody time sorting out the business side of it. As you said, getting PR and doing all that stuff. And he says, like, sometimes he hates the fact that all of that gets in the way of the yeah. actual creativity. Well, well... I'm doing press for this album. At this stage, I've compartmentalised. I know who have been kind to us. In the it's, past? Yes. So it's a very small percent. Cohort. Yeah, so I know the guys who might consider trying to play us on the radio. Uh, so it's, or writing about you. Yeah, or... I've got the packages. I've got, I've got them honed down. A, B, C, D, bang. So you look at that, it's very small. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a big operation. If you were a new band or you were a big PR company, you try and cover as many Everything. people as you could, but that's not possible. So you got to start with small steps. Try and get them to the people who've liked you in the past, who've done articles for you, who did reviews. Start from there. And if anything else comes out of that, great. Like, take for instance, getting on the RT playlist. I've sent two, three emails, you've got no response. Nothing. Not even get a, an automatic reply. You, yeah. you email the BBC, you get, at least you get an automatic reply. Does that frustrate you? No, it doesn't or frustrate is it water me. water off the duck's back? It's water off the duck's back, but it's not good for an institution like RT not to recognise their artists, you know, engage with them, saying, listen, um, we're run by people who don't want to hear your music. Let's be honest. Yeah. Or whatever. You know, give them an answer. Don't engage with them. We got your record. Acknowledge it. Um, whether they go in and play it, that's another thing. But at least just don't. None of this hell you and those. Oh my god! That's how Ireland is. That's what makes it. It's uh, how would you say? Um, well, until they knock it down and begin again. Yeah, yeah. That's the only way. I mean, in France, you have a a certain percentage of players have to be French artists. Yeah. We're here in Ireland. That's how it is right now. Like, I mean, we've never got any sustained airplay. That's why you, you when you go back to saying you're a cult band, how? But we we can only be a cult band. Anybody's going to be a cult band if they're not getting airplay. I mean, you got a small percentage. 
you know, so you've got no chance of reaching an audience. I mean, because uh, I mean, we've got deluxe copies from guys in Canada, America, London, Denmark, Spain, down to Australia. So if they're hearing it from way out there. These are where some of the sales are coming from. Yeah, exactly. For, for the reissue. Reissue. Wow. So you're off to the post office sending it as far away as Australia. Exactly. That's amazing. Yeah. And a lovely note from a guy in Iowa. Oh, it's such a dream to have Will's lyrics in a copybook. Oh, my God. You know. Does that blow your mind? It's, it's not. It's very kind of reassuring that like, not reassuring, but it's very nice. Yeah. That yeah. Someone that you don't even know. Yeah. Who's into your music that much. Have you found that people stay the course all the way along? Yeah, I think they have. They have. Yeah, they have. Yeah. But going back to RTE in the playlist, I mean, hey, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't. I mean, you wouldn't be losing sleep about it. I wouldn't. But I'd rather. I'd rather be on the playlist. Sure, sure. Because, like you say, I mean, you're gonna remain a cult band in Ireland. I mean, what if you gave a band a chance, whoever, and you put them on the playlist for four weeks? Yeah. You know, people in the radio and they get used to and they come see you. What's yeah, wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing? Absolutely nothing. So change your, I don't know what your agenda is, I don't know how you plan things, I don't know what your criteria is. Just open up the shop, be transparent, play a larger percentage of Irish artists. And that's, I don't mean that in any political sense. Sure. Or, I mean, it's common sense. And as you say, it happens in other countries, and France is a good example yeah. of it. I mean, but you've got great guys in, in RT as well. You do, you know. yeah, yeah. They're in the minority, unfortunately. Yeah. The last record will was Back to Harbour, I think, wasn't mm. it? That was six years ago, maybe? Yeah, something 2017, like that. 2017. Yeah. 2017. Yeah. And before that, there was a compilation that we mentioned a while ago yeah, that like tried that. to kind of sum up everything to that point, maybe, mm. you know. And then Back to Harbour. When's the last time the Harvest Ministers played a gig? I was trying to... I Probably was trying to um, around that. the anthology, I'd say. About 2014? 2015, I think, yeah. yeah. 2015, yeah. If you were planning to put a gig together now... Yeah, what? we are putting a gig together. Are you? Whelan's upstairs, actually, in Acoustic Show on the 28th of November. The 28th of November, as part of the celebration yeah, of, this, is, yeah. of this record? It is, yeah. What will the Harvest Ministers look like on stage that night, Will? I'll be there. Jared <laughs> <laughs> um, Dett will be there, hopefully, as well. Uh, Porg, McCall on piano and saxophone clarinet, and plus a bass player and a drummer. Wow. So we'll get a mixture of the new yeah, and the old. Yeah. You're going to have to presumably um, do a bit of rehearsing with these people between now and then. I, I think that would probably be a good idea. <laughs> yeah, otherwise we'd be too ramshackle for what, our own good. Will it just be this or will we get some of the 80 new songs that are... Oh, no, I'm yeah, definitely going to play one of the new songs. Okay. Absolutely. And we'll be picking, like, apart from just Little Dark Mansion, will we get some other... Uh, guess, yeah, 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 like Strange Love Letter. We didn't talk about Strange Love Letter, that album. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 2010. Uh, some great songs in that. Uh, Life just put on my way in particular. We'll be playing songs like that. So you finally struck out. I mean... When you put the compilation together, Will, mm -hmm. how did you pick tracks? Well, you, just by again, asking. Is it, you, is it you picking the tracks? or it, I think it's, it's it kind of a general else? consensus between the people who are in the band. The musicians? Yeah. And the, maybe whoever got, well, got played in the radio... So, yeah, I mean, it's never going to be 100% happy with yeah, it. Yeah. But each record needs to be represented by two or three songs, and that's what happened. The cover of that's gorgeous. That's done by... Uh, Paul Cole, yeah, a great artist. Yeah. Uh, he's going he's gonna to be world famous yeah. one day. I hope you have one or two paintings at home. I actually do. Good. <laughs> but, uh, just small ones. But uh, I do have, luckily, uh, three or four, yeah. If someone said to you, Will, all oh, the Harvest Ministers... I've never heard of them. How would you describe the Harvest Ministers to someone who doesn't know the band well? The well, I'd ask them, do you like Hank Williams? Do you like Hank Williams? Do you like Buddy Holly? Uh, Ray Charles? You know? Yeah. Uh, Chris Christopherson. Uh, do you like songs? What songs do you like? I mean, a good song is a good song. Yeah. Doesn't matter when it's written. So, um, my, old, my, my grandfather's clock, which was written in 1867 or 1897, 1897, I sang it recently. It's a great song. So up to Mr. Bojangles, you know, or Waterloo Sunset. I mean, the list goes on forever. Hey, you know, continue on Johnny Cash, whatever. 
When is the gig again? Upstairs in Wheelands? Yeah, Tuesday the 29th of November. Oh, 28th of November. Tuesday the 28th of November. Yeah. So if, if you, once the tickets go on sale, grab it while you can, because it's quite yeah. a small place. Yeah, yeah. It's a lovely room. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll be up there on the 28th. The vinyl, it's available. And it's yeah, on yeah. the band camp. Yeah, yeah. And there's different versions of yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. I know this is hard now, but... I'm going to put you on the spot, Will. Will you pick a song from Little Dark Mansion? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go for the last one, Don't You Ever. Okay. Sung by Jared She's got a brilliant voice. And that song was recorded very late in the day down in Lansdowne. Uh, everyone was wretched, bloodshot. But Jared's voice just sounded gorgeous. So I'm going to leave you with Don't You Ever. Well, it's been absolute pleasure chatting to you about this record. Thank you, Paul, and thanks for the I love John Paper clips and some oh, you're very stuff I've never heard of. But I love this record, and I'm just thrilled that it's coming out again. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's like a lost book. I mean, it, it never goes away, so it's there. Yeah, absolutely. And it, if, if um, the doors open up and you get sustained coverage of it, well, it'll just reach a more deserved wide audience. People, That's all about. And people might listen to some of the other records exactly. then as well. Exactly. I mean, the whole entity is there. Songs after songs after songs, so there you go. Well, thanks a million. Well, thank you, Paul, for having me. that was Don't You Ever, the last track on Little Dark Mansion by the Harvest Ministers, sung by Geraldette Bailey, and my thanks again to Will Murrayman. As mentioned in the episode, Little Dark Mansion has been reissued on vinyl for its 30th anniversary, all details are on Bandcamp, and the Harvest Ministers play a rare gig upstairs in Whelan's on Tuesday the 28th of November 2023. If you go to paulmcdermott.ie forward slash podcast, you'll find the episode notes, further information and lots of old press cuttings about the Harvest Ministers. The new book about Sarah Records that Will and I mentioned in the episode is called These Things Happen, 
The Sarah Record Story by Jane Dufus. It's just been published by Tangent Books. Now, as mentioned in the episode, the Harvest Ministers released two albums on Satanta Records in the 1990s. The next episode of the podcast will feature another band who also released two albums on Satanta Records in the 1990s. Here's a short preview. I'll go back to the beginning, sitting in my bedroom with Dale and a guitar and his Converse trainers and working on Song for Autumn. The series of gigs that we did around France, I think they just changed our lives. We just had this amazing connection with the country. Being on stage with my friends that I'd left Port Stewart with, it's an amazing thing. Dale knows, I've already said this and I continue to say it, I've said it always. If Dale ever needs me to um, do anything for him, then he just has to ask. To hear knows when. Great Irish Albums Revisited, episode 34, Mute by Catchers. There you go, a short preview of episode 34. The theme music, it's called Irish Rhapsody Redux. It's by Mark Healy. It's a reworking of a recording of the New Light Symphony Orchestra's version of Victor Herbert's Irish Rhapsody. Until the next episode, goodbye.